If asking your mate down the pub about vaping Here's what they'd probably say No one agrees if it's safer or not So you might as well smoke anyway Now what your mate needs is a Cochrane review All the facts have been checked at least twice They'd find there's a lot that the experts agree on And might give you different advice Hi, I'm Nicola Linson. And I'm Jamie Hartman-Boyce. We're both researchers based at the University of Oxford, where we work with the Cochrane Tobacco Addiction Group. Welcome to this edition of Let's Talk E-Cigarettes. This podcast is a companion to a research project being carried out at the University of Oxford, where every month we search the e-cigarette literature to find new studies. We then use these studies to update our Cochrane Systematic Review of E-Cigarettes for Smoking Cessation. This is called a living systematic review. In each episode of this podcast, we start by going through the studies we've found that month and then go into more detail about a particular study or topic related to e-cigarettes. So we'll start by describing what we found on our search on the 1st of March in a nutshell. This month, we also searched conference abstracts from the annual meeting of the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco. We found four new studies, five new ongoing studies, and five papers linked to studies already included in our review. Our first two new included studies came from that conference. And it's important to be aware when we think about conference abstracts that they have limited detail and are often from unpublished research. And so these results could be subject to change. So the lead author of the first of these abstracts was Thomas H. Brandon of the Moffitt Cancer Centre, USA, and the study was government funded. It's a large randomised control trial of almost 3,000 people carried out in dual users of conventional cigarettes and e-cigarettes. People were assigned to one of three groups. So the first group received no treatment, the second group received generic smoking cessation self-help booklets, And the third group were provided with smoking cessation self-help booklets that were specifically targeted at dual users. Participants were followed up for two years and the initial findings reported suggest higher abstinence rates in people who received the intervention targeted at dual users than no treatment, with quit rates achieved by those receiving the generic self-help falling somewhere between the two. The lead author of the second abstract was Caroline Cobb from Virginia Commonwealth University in the US. Her team report on another randomised controlled trial of 520 people that was also government funded. Participants were all current smokers who were interested in reducing their smoking but not quitting. People were randomised to four different study groups, so they either got an electronic cigarette that contained zero milligrams per milliliter of nicotine liquid, eight milligrams per milliliter, 36 milligrams per milliliter, or a cigarette-shaped plastic tube for six months. The results in this abstract focus only on predictors of people's withdrawal from the trial, which isn't something that we're looking at in our review. However, we will be looking out for results looking at the effect and safety of the different approaches. The third abstract we found was also from the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco Conference, and it was led by Christopher Russell at the Centre for Substance Abuse Research in Glasgow, Scotland. It was a randomised controlled trial of over 400 adults who smoked, and they were randomised to nicotine replacement therapy or to a pod e-cigarette product for three months. Within the people randomised to the pod e-cigarette product, they were split into those with pod devices containing either nicotine salt e-liquid pods or free-based nicotine e-pods. 
They reported 21.3% of people had quit in the nicotine replacement therapy group at six months, compared to 30.3% in the nicotine salt pod group and 24.3% in the free-based nicotine pod group. The abstract indicates that funding came from the e-cigarette industry. The fourth is also a conference abstract, but this one was published back in 2015, and we found it because we were screening um, a new systematic review to see if it included studies that we'd missed. It was led by Joel Eisenhofer at the Baylor College of Medicine in Texas, and it was a really small study. Uh, It also looked at nicotine replacement therapy versus e-cigarettes, and here it was provided for three weeks to veterans who met the criteria for tobacco use disorder. They measured a range of short-term outcomes, and the one of interest for our review is carbon monoxide. They reported that carbon monoxide was significantly reduced from baseline in both groups, but they don't give comparisons between groups, and these are preliminary findings, so very limited detail were available, and this was funded by the Veterans Affairs Medical Centre. This month, Jamie spoke to Professor Caitlin Notley from the University of East Anglia, who is a co-author on our Cochrane Electronic Cigarettes Living Review, and does lots of other research in this area. Our Cochrane review focuses on quantitative data, which means it looks at numbers such as how many people quit smoking or how many have experienced adverse effects. However, in e-cigarettes research, qualitative research methods also have a really important role to play. Obscure science term definition. By qualitative methods, we mean the types of methods that are often used to answer questions about experience, meaning and perspective. So an example of this might be interviews with people who have switched from smoking to vaping. Caitlin is experienced in carrying out this type of research and she talked to Jamie about it in this month's Deep Dive. Really excited to have Caitlin here to talk to us about her research. So to start off with Caitlin, can you tell me a bit about yourself and what got you into doing research on e-cigarettes in the first place? Sure. Um, Well, I'm a social scientist by background and um, I came to this field of study through uh, an interest in researching um, substance misuse um, primarily. So I I guess I have a strong grounding in the principles of harm reduction. I worked as a postdoc on a study looking at uh, supervised consumption for opiate maintenance therapy, actually leading the process evaluation study alongside that trial. Obscure science term definition. The Centre for Disease Control defines process evaluation as a way of determining whether program activities have been implemented as intended. So that means looking at if any sort of activity, for example, a healthcare intervention has been delivered to the right people at the right time in the right way. So really interested in the views and experiences of people who were supervised um, consuming their opiate maintenance therapy, very much from the perspective that um, using a a substitute medication to reduce the harm from illicit heroin was the the way that treatment services were going at the time. Um, And then following a period of maternity leave, I was lucky enough to um, secure a postdoctoral fellowship funded by the Society for the Study of Addiction, Um, focused on the topic of smoking relapse prevention. So at the time um, at the UEA we had an HTA funded trial um, looking at the effectiveness of a relapse prevention intervention and I again led a a process evaluation study alongside this as the first part of my fellowship programme of work 
And then I undertook um, a qualitative systematic review and some qualitative work, really trying to understand the phenomenon of smoking relapse for pregnant women who'd quit smoking during um, pregnancy. Um, and what we found was it was incredibly common for pregnant women to find it quite easy to quit smoking, but actually the rates of relapse immediately after pregnancy were incredibly high, around about 75% of women who quit smoking during pregnancy would eventually relapse in the 12 months following pregnancy. So the, the programme of work was really trying to understand what was going on there. Um, and during that time, e-cigarettes just kind of um, came to the fore. They really took off as a consumer phenomenon. Um, it seemed that people were just deciding to use e-cigarettes. And as a research community, we really didn't know much about them. Um, and coming from this background in, in substance misuse, I immediately saw there's huge potential um, for e-cigarettes to be a, a harm reduction tool to help people stop smoking. And then linking in with the, the idea of relapse prevention, um, something that was um, attractive and being used by people, helping them to switch quite easily, might also be really important in helping people to stay quit from smoking in the long term as a, a, an attractive substitution, if you like, for tobacco. Brilliant. Thank you. And I think there are, you know, a lot of links between harm reduction used in other areas uh, and sometimes it being more accepted in other areas and then starting to think about it, it coming into to play in smoking. So you clearly have a really impressive track record in tobacco addiction and e-cigarette research. And there's two particular areas which you've now touched upon. I'd like to delve into a bit more today if we can. Um, the first of those is is your interest in relapse prevention, and the second is your interest in some more vulnerable populations. So to start with, can you tell us a bit more about relapse prevention? So what does that mean in the context of smoking? Um, so as part of my postdoctoral fellowship, um, I explored the reasons for relapsing to smoking um, amongst uh, pregnant and postpartum women. Um, and being a social scientist, I was really interested in the kind of whole um, range of reasons that women might relapse back to smoking, really, as well as the sort of physical addiction to nicotine um, through smoking, there it was clear that there's a strong psychological um, dependence to smoking a very strong social element of course most women learn to smoke um, as part of a, a kind of social exchange and um, being part of a group of smokers is incredibly important to many people very strong cultural links so for people born in a a culture where it's the norm to continue to smoke it's incredibly difficult to move away from and particular interest of mine is the idea of social identity so for women who quit smoking during pregnancy often the tobacco smoking has been a core part of their identity as a young woman um, and for many women kind of going back to smoking after having a baby seemed to be about regaining a sense of themselves as they saw themselves before they became a mum obviously many young women sort of struggled to become a mum um, and to kind of take on that new identity as a mother and and for some going back to smoking was kind of a, a something for themselves if you like so they're really important kind of social psychological dimensions that seem to be really important um, in terms of relapse as a, a complex psychosocial phenomenon 
Um, but really interestingly, at the time, before e-cigarettes, um, smoking cessation treatment seemed to me to focus just on one aspect of tobacco addiction. So nicotine replacement therapy, for example, focused on the physical dependence to nicotine, but didn't really help people with the social and psychological aspects of the addiction. And behavioural support um, was really helpful for many people trying to quit smoking, but focused particularly on the psychological aspects of um, tobacco addiction without really addressing the kind of social and cultural aspects. So no treatment for um, helping people quit smoking seemed to attend to all the dimensions of tobacco addiction that really um, made it such a difficult addiction to overcome. Um, and of course, relapse is incredibly common. So the average smoker we knew um, tended to try to quit smoking around seven times before they actually succeeded. Um, it, clearly, there's a lot going on in relapse and a lot of uh, kind of a, a multi-dimensional need for support. Um, and so I guess seeing relapse as a kind of relapsing, remitting condition that needed ongoing support was the kind of angle that I started to come from when exploring the phenomenon. Um, particularly uh, for women, as I said, kind of relapsing back to smoking seemed to be about regaining a sense of themselves that perhaps they'd lost um, during pregnancy when they'd quit smoking. Um, so when e-cigarettes came along, it seemed that they were an exciting kind of alternative, um, a way that people might kind of deal with all the aspects of tobacco addiction that previous treatments hadn't been able to address. So of course e-cigarettes mostly contain nicotine to deal with um, any physical addiction but also um, it seemed that they had a psychological element to it, you know people could use them in a habitual way just as they previously perhaps might have used to tobacco um, and they could substitute the hand-to-mouth action of smoking that perhaps they'd become very dependent on. Um, socially, vaping seemed to offer a sort of group identity that some people found um, helpful to engage with. Um, and in an identity sense as well, um, e-cigarettes seemed to perhaps offer an alternative identity that people could switch to. So, you know, becoming a vapor instead of seeing themselves as a smoker. And also something really important, I think, that's often missed in the, the medical literature when we're talking about treatments for smoking cessation is that um, people seem to really enjoy using e-cigarettes. There was a, a pleasurable aspect to them in their own right. So for the first time, perhaps, there was a treatment available for smoking cessation that people might actually not find um, difficult or painful they might actually enjoy vaping in its own right um, and this really led me to think that you know something that's pleasurable but also helps people overcome their tobacco addiction could mean that they could be supported to actually stay quit from smoking in the long term because the pleasurable alternative might be something that they want to carry on using. Thank you for talking through relapse prevention. And I think that point you made about e-cigarettes being a relatively exciting development in the field because of their pretty unique ability to touch on behavioral, social, and pharmacological aspects of cigarette addiction is, is a really important one and one that maybe doesn't get spoken about all that much. But 
What I also wanted to touch on is that I know that in 2019, you were involved in a systematic review looking at the use of e-cigarettes for smoking cessation and reduction in vulnerable populations. So I was hoping you might be able to tell us a little bit more about that review and what you found. And, and also, how, how do we define vulnerable populations? Why are we interested in these specific groups? In what way do we think maybe interventions would be different in those groups than they might be in other populations? Mm. So yeah, in uh, the the review you're, you you mentioned was led by a, a friend and colleague of mine, um, Dr. Sarah Gentry, who published in Nicotine and Tobacco Research, um, asking whether e-cigarettes might be an effective aid for smoking cessation or reduction amongst vulnerable populations. Um, so first off, defining vulnerability. Obviously, it's incredibly complex to define what we mean by a vulnerable group. Um, and we have to be really careful not to stigmatise groups that might already, already be very marginalised. Um, so for this review in particular, we focused on group, groups experiencing multiple disadvantage and health inequity. Um, so groups such as those who might be misusing other substances, those with serious mental illness, um, groups experiencing homelessness or involved with the clinic, um, uh, criminal justice system. And all of these groups were particularly vulnerable to smoking-related harm. So amongst all of those groups, prevalence of smoking remains over 70% of those populations. Incredibly high, obviously, compared to the rate of smoking now in the general population, which is, is currently just less than 15%. Um, so we were really, really interested in focusing on these groups because despite other challenges in their lives, we know that it's smoking tobacco that's most likely to cause these groups severe disease um, and ultimately premature death. Um, so the findings of that review, um, well, it was a mixed methods review because the literature in the field um, is extremely um, varied. There, were, there was a lack of trials looking specifically at vulnerable populations. Um, so we didn't have um, studies that we were able to combine in a meta-analysis like we might do with a Cochrane review. Um, we included nine studies in total, um, five from the US, um, none actually undertaken in the UK. Five of the studies were quantitative studies, but as I said, no trials, um, and four qualitative studies. So our primary outcome um, was focused on smoking cessation. Um, the way in which smoking cessation was measured in these studies really varied, um, was often not biochemically validated, um, and the outcome was collected anywhere between four weeks and 18 months follow-up, so you can see very varied. Um, and the cessation outcome then varied between 0% and 14.3% for these populations. Um, so really importantly, across the studies, we didn't find any um, adverse events particularly being reported, which is obviously um, an exciting finding when you look at um, a cessation intervention. Um, and the qualitative studies, I, the qualitative findings, I guess, were really what was very interesting with this review. Um, we were interested in what the barriers and facilitators to switching to e-cigarettes or, or other cessation um, methods might be for these populations. And we found some very specific barriers and facilitators. So, for example, um, being able to access supplies um, for these populations could be very difficult. Um, affordability of products um, was something that was a, a big barrier to use. Um, but we did find um, some facilitators, for example, acceptance of a harm reduction approach. So 
seemed to be an increased acceptance of, of switching to um, a, a reduced harm product. Um, and also seeing vaping e-cigarettes as more socially acceptable um, than perhaps other groups might have seen them. Um, and then really interestingly, across the studies as a whole, we did find a statistically significant um, level of smoking reduction. So although our cessation outcome wasn't um, great, we did see that people who had switched to e-cigarettes had managed to reduce their smoking and quite positively we, we saw that as perhaps being on a pathway towards um, eventual cessation. Um, but obviously due to the low quality of included studies, um, we were unable to um, really assess the effectiveness of e-cigarettes for vulnerable groups. Um, Although evidence from one moderate quality study did show that e-cigarettes might be at least as effective as nicotine replacement studies. Um, and as I said, the, the thematic synthesis, the qualitative synthesis that we undertook showed that e-cigarettes really did have a potential to attend to the whole um, range of aspects of smoking addiction for vulnerable groups. So they might be a pleasurable alternative to tobacco smoking. They might promote social connectedness that might be important for these groups. Um, but really importantly, we found that vulnerable populations particularly were in need of additional support to access um, these alternatives to smoking um, to help them um, to become more, more affordable and to um, support them to maintain ongoing use. So that's something I think we find across e-cigarette research, particularly in the qualitative literature, is that people need support not just to switch in the short term, but to troubleshoot problems that they might have along the way so that they're able to maintain that switch um, and not relapse back to tobacco smoking. Great. And I think, you know, th that review was conducted back in 2019 and it's, been interesting and encouraging since we've started doing the living review process that now that we're doing our monthly searches we're finding a lot more studies targeted to these more vulnerable populations and I think that's a particularly encouraging because often traditionally in research those are actually the groups who who don't get looked at and don't get involved in studies and certainly in the case of smoking as we know from those statistics which are actually quite shocking um with those disparities in use these are the groups where where actually we should be doing most of our research probably um so finally just touching on on what you were talking about a little bit last um so why don't we do our cochrane review and most of the work I do tends to focus on quantitative outcomes, so the numbers side of things. But clearly, there's a lot that we can also learn from qualitative research in this field. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what we've learned, I suppose, from qualitative research about e-cigarettes that we'd really be missing if we were only looking at the quantitative data and how we might be able to better take both into account, I suppose, when thinking about policies and treatments moving forward. Yeah, thanks. I, I think that's a really important question. I mean, starting out as a primarily qualitative researcher, I could never have imagined actually becoming involved in a Cochrane review. Um, but I suppose as my career has progressed, I've started to feel really strongly that we need different methods to answer different research questions and it's really important that we include the whole range of methods in order to answer the whole range of questions that need answering. So when we're asking questions about how people might use an e-cigarette, um, why they might use an e-cigarette or in what ways um, we might 
support sustained switching. Um, we need experiential data gathered through interviews, observations, focus groups, and preferably longitudinally, so following people over time. For obviously, for effectiveness questions, which are incredibly important, we need to quantify the outcomes um, to look at adverse events. We need cohort studies um, measuring events and exposures. And we need trials, of course, to test one treatment against another um, or against a control group. So it's really, really important to triangulate the different types of evidence um, in order that we can converge on a, a consensus view um, to influence policy and practice. Um, I mean, it's really interesting to think about how much mixed methods evidence is enough. <laughs> um, I think certainly in the UK with the, the Public Health England report and through the work that the Cochrane Group is doing, we're now in a position um, perhaps to say we have enough evidence that e-cigarettes can be considered a useful cessation and possibly a useful relapse prevention tool. But obviously internationally there's still different viewpoints on that. So it's interesting to think about, you know, at what point might there be enough evidence to to really convince people of the need for policy change and i think one of the interesting things i suppose in all areas to some extent but particularly in e-cigarettes i think one of the things that can be very very powerful are actually just stories right particularly when you're when you're sitting around a policy making table or or thinking about clinical decisions those stories as they might relate to young people and e-cigarette use can be really striking um can be really emotive and give us an insight that we might not have from the data. And similarly, I think those stories about people using e-cigarettes for smoking cessation can also be really informative, but we don't we don't hear about them as much. So I think that's one thing that I, I like seeing from the qualitative data sometimes too, is just the voices of people who have tried using e-cigarettes to quit smoking and the challenges that they faced along the way, which can help us design better interventions and better policy, we hope. Um, so last question for you is just following on from the research we've discussed today. What research do you think could be done next if someone gave you tons of money and said, Caitlin, design any study you want, what would you like to do? Um, well, that's a big question. Um, I mean, although smoking prevalence at a population level, you know, it, it has decreased year on year. And as I said, in the UK, we're around about 15%. Now the population can continue to smoke prevalence does remain much much higher in some populations and I think that's really clearly where we need to focus our intervention efforts now. Um, so we need to assess the effectiveness of interventions targeted at those vulnerable groups who are the most likely to experience multiple health inequalities and be the, the groups that are likely to be continuing to smoke. Um, so I guess my, my top three would be to develop and test interventions with those vulnerable populations, particularly with um, those experiencing homelessness or substance misuse. Um, those not motivated to quit smoking um, and, of course, pregnant women who are extremely vulnerable, both in terms of their own health, but also the health of their developing child um, and the children in the family. Um, Secondly, to develop and test relapse prevention interventions. Obviously, this is, um, you know, my, my programme of work. Um, but really importantly, I think we have 
ignored relapse um, over the years in uh, tobacco control research. We've focused a lot of effort on helping people to quit smoking. We've got great um, support for smoking cessation in terms of pharmacological and behavioural support and of course e-cigarettes if people choose to switch to e-cigarettes. But we put much less effort into helping people stay quit in the long term and I, I really think that's where we need to target interventions next um, and develop guidance for health professionals around what they can best be doing to support relapse prevention. Um, and then finally I think we need implementation um, research so we do have good evidence now on the effectiveness of e-cigarettes for smoking cessation um, but what we need to do is ensure that e-cigarettes as an effective intervention um, can be used uh, within routine care. So we need to educate our healthcare professionals, we need to educate the public about the reduced risk of using a, an e-cigarette. There's still huge public misperception about harms of nicotine that needs addressing. Um, and really importantly, I think we need to focus efforts on working with assets that already exist within communities. So particularly thinking about vulnerable populations, working with support groups, um, perhaps with vape shops that are available on the high street, really using those resources that people um, tap into in their everyday lives um, and, and reach out to those groups who aren't accessing support for smoking cessation via kind of the medical means perhaps great well thank you so much um yeah this has all been super interesting and a kind of nice change from talking about uh the various randomized controlled trials that we tend to focus on which of course are also really important <laughs> absolutely that was a really great interview, Jamie, and something I found particularly interesting having a background in psychology myself is that idea of smoking perhaps being part of somebody's social identity and how, you know, if you give up smoking, you might need to make that that switch in you, the way that you, you feel about yourself. Um, and that also kind of leads nicely onto that idea of these different dimensions of tobacco addiction. So those different elements such as that biological addiction to nicotine but obviously there's also important factors involved in in the psychological aspects so people's relationship with other people who who smoke perhaps or worries even about the health of people around them when they're smoking that all play into people's smoking behavior absolutely and i think that was that was one of the reasons we were keen to have caitlin on so massive thanks to caitlin for coming on and it's one of those things when we think about all the different aspects of smoking and all the different elements that we'd hope for in a successful tool to help people quit smoking. We really just looking at the numbers doesn't tell the whole picture. And that's why it's so important to hear about people's experiences through research like that Caitlin does and kind of tying that into our review. That's one of the reasons why in our review we have some studies. Obviously, most of them look at uh, e-cigarettes with nicotine, but some of them actually look at e-cigarettes without nicotine as an intervention in and of themselves, because though they're not addressing that pharmacological aspect of addiction, they are there to help address those behavioral, social, and psychological cues that so many people struggle with when they're trying to quit smoking. So that's it from us this month. Please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and stay tuned for our next episode. Vaping is safer than smoking. May help you quit in the end. But remember 
not to mention the findings we have Can't tell us what'll happen long term Even though we know vaping is safer than smoking We may still find cause for concern If you're thinking of switching to vaping Do it! That's what the experts agree Smoking's so bad for you, they all concur The vaping beast burning, but there's much to learn Of effects long term yet to be Thank you to Jonathan Livingston Banks for running searches, to Elsa Butler for producing this podcast, and to all of you for tuning in. Music is written with Johnny Berliner and I, and performed by Johnny. Our Living Systematic Review is supported by funding from Cancer Research UK. The Cochrane Tobacco Addiction Group also receives core infrastructure funding from the National Institutes for Health Research. The views expressed in this podcast are those of Nicola and I, and do not represent those of the funders.